Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this second week of our series on the life of the Apostle Paul, we will be looking at the early years of Paul's Christian life and ministry. We will see clearly how God placed people in Paul's life to help him in his pursuit of and service for Jesus Christ. So please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 as we learn together how to become an imitator of Paul as he imitated Jesus Christ. What happens within the very first few years of Paul converting to Christ and coming to faith and placing his faith in Christ? He had an encounter with the living Christ in Acts chapter 9, and that is on the road to Damascus. Remember, he was on his way to go and persecute the church and to chase down Christians who had already a six-day journey north of Jerusalem, fled because of persecution, and were trying to grow in Christ in the country of Syria. And so Paul was on his way there. He had an encounter with the living Christ, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we learned the point that Jesus is personally connected with his people, even when they are persecuted. And there are a lot of great artistic depictions of this great moment in history when Saul, his eyes are blinded, but he sees the true light of Christ, and he's brought from death to life through faith in Christ as his Lord, as his Savior. So this week we'll be looking at the beginning of Paul's actual ministry journey. We'll be in Acts chapter 9 again, so open up your Bibles and or your, uh, your tablet or your smartphone to Acts chapter 9, and we will be picking up the action in verse 19. And before we do that, I've been saying how I want us to be scripture memory people. So I have some scripture memory to challenge us with. We learned these verses last week. I want us to say together 1 Corinthians 11.1. Let's say it out loud. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul wanted the Corinthians to imitate him just as he was imitating Christ, but not for the purpose of just show. He says in the context so that people might be saved. And he encourages his readers and us today to do the same so that we might experience the privilege of seeing people understand the gospel, share the gospel, and live the gospel out for the sake of Christ. Our next verse Let's say it together from Philippians 1.21. For, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul had an eternal perspective. For him, everything about his life was to be wrapped up in his identity in Christ, his mission for Christ, his purpose of proclaiming Christ. For him to die and to be with Christ was also to his gain. So that eternal perspective is powerful. And then the big idea which you don't have to say. You just can listen to this. Paul modeled a life surrendered to Jesus Christ for us to follow. And that's why I'm grateful that we get to learn from his life in the book of Acts today. Now, to set up context, for those who who are visiting are new and been so grateful that you're here, you have to understand I I love maps. Folks online, if you're joining us for the first time, I I love a great map. I'm not sure this is great, but I'm putting it up here anyway. This is the context for Acts chapter 9 as we look at Paul's life. You'll see down there is Damascus. That's where we're going to start. Damascus is north of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the bottom of the map. 
It's about a six-day journey. So Saul's going to move from Damascus to Jerusalem. And then eventually up to, to Tarsus, Tarsus, where he is originally from. So he kind of makes a, a hometown visit towards, uh, as we'll talk about. So where do we start? We start in Damascus as we look at the beginning of Saul's journey. And a few things to know about this is that um, Saul is still in Damascus. He's going to be moving to Jerusalem within the context of what we read. But what's really interesting is that Galatians 1, 17 and 18 tells us in, in Paul's own words that this whole period in Damascus and Syria and Arabia was three years. So as we read it in Acts 9, it seems like boom, 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 immediately, immediately, immediately. But actually, there's a period of three years baked into the text that we're going to see. So we understand that God was actually preparing Saul for more work. It wasn't like, uh, and we read, and we see this today in our own lives, we get really passionate. If If you remember when you first came to Jesus Christ by faith, and you realize, I want to tell everybody about him, and that's good. And Saul did that too, but it was a period of time. He even took time over three years, as we'll read today, to really grow in his faith and his understanding. And and I really believe in his understanding of the scriptures of the Old Testament, as we'll see, and how that applied and pointed to Jesus Christ. So with that, we are going to be starting in Damascus on the first leg of this journey. And let's read Acts chapter 9, verses 19. And through 25. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Guys, this would make for... A great scene in a movie. Uh, I think people have produced and directed movies about the life of Saul or the Apostle Paul, and I'm always looking for the new version that gets more action, more excitement, because I really think that this is a book full of exciting accounts of not just one man's journey, but the movement of God's kingdom as he's building it through the church in its early years. But right out of the gates, what do we see Saul doing? He's going to the synagogues, And that's significant because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would go to the synagogues, and Jesus would proclaim and try to open the eyes of and the ears of his hearers and the hearts of those listening to the truth of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus himself. And Saul was doing the same thing. This would have been a very fair place for him to go to the synagogue. He was, after all, Jewish. He was a Pharisee. He was well taught by Gamaliel in the ways of the Jewish Torah. And so he would have been very comfortable going to this place and discussing with these people the truth of Jesus. And people are amazed at this turnaround that happens. 
Because whether the three-year time of development happened here or in a few verses, the association was still, isn't this the guy that was trying, the text says, wreak havoc? You could say trying to destroy this movement and trying to come here to bind us, to take us away and put us in jail. And they're confused because Saul's reputation was still that of a terrorist to the church. And we find in verse 22, one of several summary verses. If you read the book of Acts, which I encourage you to do at some point in your life, if you haven't, read it from start to finish, you will find several summary verses that Luke puts in there to give sort of a a headline or an update, sort of a, a Twitter post about what's happening in the world of the church at this time. In verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews. Uh, in another way to translate it is cause consternation in the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And now we get an ironic turn of events, don't we? Here you have Saul, who again was one of the, the bright shining stars of the Pharisees, of the Jewish people in opposition of the church. He was, he was the poster child for persecution. And yet the tables are turned as the Jewish leaders in verse 23 are plotting to kill him. My, how the tables turn. And it is ironic. Because much in the same way as Jesus and then Stephen, Saul now becomes their number one target because he is now seen as the enemy. A former professor of mine named Stanley Toussaint. Oh, by the way, he's lowered down in this basket which this would be the great scene in the movie. Uh, It made me think, this is not the first time that God has delivered one of the leaders of his people in a basket. Does anybody know the other time? Moses, that's right. Moses was lowered in a basket into the Nile and delivered from Pharaoh. And here we see Paul, Saul, now a grown man, not not a young child, lowered in a basket through a wall in Damascus. And this is the quotation that one of my former professors, Stan Toussaint, says. He writes, Saul's plans for persecuting Christians in Damascus took a strange turn. He had entered the city blind and left in a basket. Ironically, he became the object of persecution. This reminds me of Saul's own words. At the, at the time when he wrote this, he, he was going by the name of Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 32 and 33, which will be on the screen. He writes, At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So we see Saul's own words writing firsthand about this experience. Who knows what he was feeling or experiencing? Who knows what those who were helping helping him were feeling or experiencing? Probably some fear, probably some concern, probably some, okay, let's get him down. Shh, be quiet. Here they come. But he was delivered through the help of friends who cared for him and were looking out for him. Now, this was promised that Saul would experience events like this. Just earlier, as we touched on last week, we read in Acts 9, 
verses 15 and 16, if you look up a little higher in that chapter. But the Lord said to him, that is to Ananias, Go, for he, that is Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer, suffer for the sake of my name. So as we can see, this is being fulfilled in the life of Saul. He is suffering. He is being persecuted. His conversion was genuine. And this will be important as we look at the, the next section of our passage. He had truly been changed. Now, what's interesting to me, if you notice this as we looked at the text, is that in verse 25, uh, but his disciples took him by night. So already within this period of time, probably within these first three years, uh, Saul had already gained some disciples, not just to follow him, but to follow Christ as Saul pointed them to Jesus. So these were early Christians that he had led to Christ through his own discipleship efforts of sharing the gospel. And now these disciples helped him to find deliverance and security and escape when others were seeking to change his life. Or, or he, God was seeking to change lives through him and to change Saul's life through the experience. Now, what we find through this is that God had more work for Saul to do. And I'm reminded of a quotation from a teacher named Craig Rochelle. Wes, you know Craig Rochelle. He once said, it: if you're not dead, you're not done. And clearly, Saul was not dead. He was not done. He had more work to do in the next step in Jerusalem. So that is where we turn to next. And this is from Acts chapter 9, which we just read. So next, we go to moving to Jerusalem. We pick up the text in verse 26 of Acts chapter 9. And when he had come to Jerusalem, again, about a six-day journey from Damascus, heading south. It's quite a way. <laughs> I'm imagining, by the way, it's not in the text. I'm just imagining, guys, that as he's going, Saul is, is walking through towns, much, much like Jesus did, walking through and sharing about the kingdom, sharing about the good news, sharing about Jesus as he goes on his way to Jerusalem. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And Barnabas took him and brought him into the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had, been, he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, which Saul was. Uh, but they were seeking to kill him. Similar theme. And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Verse 31 is another one of those summary verses, one of those tweets that Luke is sending out to say, this is the update of how God is working in the life of the church. So Saul gets to Jerusalem, a place again that he is very familiar with from his studies there and his, his time there as a Pharisee. And the last time he was there was probably when he was persecuting Stephen and approving of the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. 
But it was a difficult introduction. Even after three years, the other disciples of Jesus there were doubtful that Saul was really a Christian. They thought maybe this is just a Trojan horse move on the part of this man Saul. He's pretending to be one of us, maybe talking like one of us, in order that he is going to get in on the inside and be the ultimate inside man and make and wreak havoc on the church from within. They just had trouble believing that he was truly a believer and a follower of Jesus. And then in comes one of my favorite people from history, Barnabas. Barnabas comes in and he brings Saul to the apostles, to Peter and to James. And he says, no, this man has encountered the risen Christ just as you and I have, but in a way different. His life has been changed. He's been preaching boldly. He's proclaiming the gospel. And from that point, we see Saul is able to move around Jerusalem and preach boldly. It's used twice here, but seven times in the whole book of Acts to preach boldly the message of Jesus Christ. He was unrestrained and unrestricted in his ability to do this, thanks to the encouragement and advocacy of Barnabas. He disputed with the Hellenists. That means to uh, seek together, to try to bring them together, to convince them that Jesus was the Christ. Interestingly, Stephen, whom Saul approved of the execution of, that's what Stephen was doing upon the time of his death. He was ministering to the Hellenists and sharing Christ with them. And now, ironically, Saul is continuing the ministry of Stephen, the man whose death he approved. But once again, the Jewish leaders are disturbed by this, and they are seeking to kill him. In this case, the Hellenistic, which means Greek-speaking Jews, their leadership sought to kill Saul. What do his friends do once again? They seek to get him to safety. They bring him, it says, down to Caesarea. Caesarea is actually north of Jerusalem on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So why do you say down? Well, if you're reading the Bible, whenever you journey to Jerusalem, you always went up. Even if you were coming from the north, heading south, you went up to Jerusalem. That's why if you read the Psalms, you see several Psalms of ascent. That's because when worshipers of Yahweh would go to Jerusalem, they would go up because of Jerusalem's position upon the hill. So anytime you're leaving Jerusalem, even if you're heading north, which to us seems like up, you were going down. Is that, anyway, that's maybe another discussion. We'll talk about it afterwards. So they, they took him to Caesarea, to the coast, and they put him on a ship to Tarsus, his hometown, and he returned there for some time to, again, get to safety. Once again, fellow Christians helped Saul out. They were looking out for him. And as the text tells us at the end, the church continued to grow. It's interesting, uh, there was increasing fear of the Lord, but comfort of the Holy Spirit. So there was reverence and there was rest simultaneously as God was doing the building. As as the text says, the church was being built up. That's the same word that's used in Greek for building a house. God was doing the building in the life of his people. And disciples were being made. So with all of this in mind, what can we learn from this account from the life of the Apostle Paul at the time known as Saul in the early, early years of his ministry. The first lesson is that the person of Jesus is central to the message of Jesus. 
We find that as Saul is going about his ministry in Damascus, we read in verse 20 that he proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the only time in the book of Acts, by the way, where the term or the name Son of God is used. We also read that Paul or Saul proved that Jesus is the Christ and that he preached boldly in the name of the Lord when he got to Jerusalem. Paul's message never changed because his focus on Jesus never wavered. And what we find is that the gospel is not just a message. Yes, it is something that we, we speak. We do share about the gospel. We share about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, and the only way to salvation and forgiveness and eternal life is through the faith in Jesus Christ, who didn't stay dead in the tomb, but he was raised to new life, and he ascended to be with the Father. That's the full message in a nutshell of the gospel, but it's much more than a message. It's a man, the man Jesus, and the truth that anyone who humbly submits and puts their trust in him can have eternal life. The gospel was central to Paul's ministry, and Jesus is central to the gospel. That, by the way, is, is how Saul proved that Jesus was the Christ. Is he, he looked at the Scriptures. He looked at the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was the Christ. Now, we read the term Christ, and we're very familiar with that word. We know that, that we refer to Jesus Christ. We sometimes hear that that term is, is used as a, a profanity on the, on the lips of some um, it's a very familiar term to us. And those of us who are Christians, we know that it refers to uh, our Savior and His title. Now, to the, the Jewish ear, the word Christ is the Hebrew word Mashiach, where we get Messiah. This was the long-awaited descendant of David who was to rule on the throne in Jerusalem to rule God's people and His kingdom. So for Saul to say to other Jews who do not know Jesus as their Savior, that he is the Messiah, the Mashiach, is, is earth-shattering. Because wasn't this same man crucified on a cross in shame, shameful public execution? There's no way in their minds that he could be that Messiah that we've been waiting for. But what Saul did is he looked at the Old Testament scriptures and he pointed to promises of God through Abraham, to his people, moving through his kingdom, to David, that David would have a descendant to sit on the throne. He even looked, I'm sure, at Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant, which is so clearly fulfilled. The number one text that's used to help Jewish people today come to faith in Jesus Christ is Isaiah 53. It's, it so clearly points to Jesus. Um, there is a lady over there. Someone could go get the door. Maybe she wants to join us for the men's breakfast. Um, thank you, Ray. Thank you. Um, so really, in the Old Testament is what Saul used to point and prove that Jesus was the Christ, which is why I'm reminded of his own words in the book of 2 Corinthians. Oh, yep. Let me read this first. Um, the, the, I went to Dallas Seminary, and this is an excerpt from the doctrinal statement of Dallas Seminary. We believe that all the scriptures center about the Lord Jesus Christ in his person and work in his first and second coming 
And hence that no portion even of the Old Testament is properly read or understood until it leads to him. I believe that's what Saul was doing, is taking the Old Testament and leading people to Jesus, proving he was and still is the Christ. And then in his own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Because the person of Jesus is central to the message of Jesus. Now guys, today, as you go about and talk with maybe family or friends or colleagues or anyone else out there, you will find a lot of interesting views about who Jesus was, or maybe who Jesus is, a lot of popular views. And it's so important that we spend time in the scriptures ourselves so that we might understand and know truly who Jesus is, the real Jesus, not the popular or fabricated Jesus of culture. Even just recently, I've been uh, talking with our daughter and she's been, she's been learning. It's, it's really great. She's been learning a lot of wonderful truths about the Lord and she, uh, she, on social media, she'll follow different people. And she was saying, Dad, you, re- you realize there is this movement called uh, progressive Christians. And I hear the term, and I, I think I know what she means. I said, tell me more. And she starts talking to me about some of the ideas that people have that say they are Christians, but essentially take this book and, and, and take Jesus and twist it and come up with some very convoluted understandings of God's truth that's no longer truth, but false. And and these ideas are out there, and we have to be weary and aware. That's why we need to spend time in this word. I had a a professor who uh, once said, uh, Bible, Bible, Bible. Everyone's talking about the Bible. But what are they saying when they're talking about the Bible? And in light of some of these ideas that people have about who Jesus is and and twisting the understanding of the truth and and contorting the gospel, the same professor would say, that may be something, but it's not Christian. And that's why we have to be immersed in the scriptures ourselves, in the written word, so that we might encounter the living word, Jesus Christ. Make time daily, guys, to get into the word of God to experience your walk with Jesus as the word himself, because the real person of Jesus is central to the real message of Jesus. Well, our second application is that the people of Jesus are central to our walk with Jesus. Now, yes, absolutely, Jesus is the center. Uh, No one person is going to take the place of Jesus as the center of our walk with him. It is about cultivation and deeper humility and walk with Jesus. But people help us in that walk, in that growth. And we see this in the life of Saul, don't we? Many people were looking out for him in Damascus and then again in Jerusalem. They helped to direct him. They helped to protect him. And uh, they were faithful in helping Saul avoid dangers in his life. And then we see one of these most special people, a man named Barnabas, who comes alongside and encourages Saul in his young years of walking with Jesus. And maybe you can think of that that person or those people who helped you in your young years as a Christian, a follower of Christ, who came alongside of you, 
and encouraged you. Well, Barnabas, this is what he did. This was his life's calling. He wasn't about stealing the show. He was about helping others grow in Christ. We find that Barnabas in Acts 4.36, his real name is actually Joseph. He's a Levite from the island of Cyprus. But his name given by the, by the disciples, by those following, is Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. And what Barnabas does is, after about six years of helping Saul and bringing him before the other uh, apostles, about six years later, we find Barnabas is still up to this, his old tricks of encouraging and building up the church. He visits Antioch, which is uh, Antioch of Syria, which is where uh, this would become the home base for Paul's missionary journeys. And he sees what God is doing there in Antioch. He actually goes to Tarsus. He finds Saul. He brings him to Antioch to encourage him to be more engaged in this work of God. And I'm so glad he did. We read in Acts 11, just two chapters later, verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for the whole, a whole year. This is a really intensive discipleship program here. A whole year they met the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were called, first called Christians. This place would be the missionary headquarters for Saul. We, we find that Barnabas took the time to go invest in this guy, to bring him, to continue to disciple him. After about a six-year gap, he said, you know what? I feel like God is leading me to go invest in this man, Saul, so that he might come here and be a part of what's going on here. And this was all part of God's plan of preparing Saul to go out on the missionary journeys and share the gospel of Jesus, all starting in Antioch of Syria. And what we find is, guys, we really all need a Barnabas. And we also all need to be a Barnabas. As you think about your years, and maybe even right now, people that God has used in your life to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. When I was just out of college, one of my best friends from college was leading a small group of men up in Northern Virginia where we all lived. And we referred to ourselves as a Barnaboy, which is, we were trying to say, what is the plural of Barnabas? Not Barnabases, but Barnaboy. And uh, we tried to encourage one another. And I'll tell you, this, this one friend, his name's Jeff. He is now a pastor in the Richmond area. Um, I found some letters as we we're going through some old stuff this weekend. I found some letters that he had written me almost 20 years ago. And I read them again last night. And it was such an encouragement. This Jeff is a Barnabas and has been a Barnabas to me. And I need to be a Barnabas to others. You need to be a Barnabas to others. You have a Barnabas, hopefully in your life, who can encourage you in your walk with Jesus, just as Saul had others, especially Barnabas, in his life. Because what happens is when we, we invest in others and encourage them in their walk and their growth with Jesus, and when they do that to us, we become more who God has called us to be in order that we might proclaim who he is to the world. We find even in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, this principle of the importance of these relationships. Proverbs 24, 6, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. 
Guys, we, we are successful in what God calls us to do as we invite others into our lives. But the opposite is just as true from Proverbs 18.1 or 18.2. It should read 18.1. Uh, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. When we isolate ourselves, we do damage to ourselves, to others, to our community. We were not designed to live alone. We were designed to live in community. And that is because, friends, the people of Jesus are central to our walk with Jesus. So those are our takeaways for This morning, the person of Jesus is central to the message of Jesus, and the people of Jesus are central to our walk with Jesus, just like Saul. And we are too. As 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, let's read it out loud, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's read Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Guys, that's because Paul modeled a life surrendered to Jesus Christ for us to follow. So as you spend some time and take as much time as you want in your groups discussing and online, please take some time and reflect on these questions or if you're with others, discuss them as well. The first question is, why is spending time in God's word essential in our discipleship walk with Jesus? And how do you do this? What what does this look like for you on a practical level? as you get into the scriptures. I bet if you share with those around you, you'll learn from them and they'll learn from you ways to really celebrate this discipline. And then the next question is, who has been a Barnabas in your life? I've had my friend Jeff Lee and many, many others. Have you ever been a Barnabas to someone else? And then finally, as we uh, get ready for next week, We'll be learning and really starting the first missionary journey as we look at Saul's work in Cyprus in Acts chapter 12. So thank you for being a part of this. I'm going to pray. And then after that prayer time, you will be able to meet and discuss in your small groups. And again, take as much time as you would like. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you for the person of Jesus and how he is just central to all that we are, uh, we desire to have Jesus move even more to the center of our lives as we move closer and closer to him. And Lord, one of the ways that we do that is through the relationships that you have provided. We do it through your word, but we also are able to experience a deeper walk with you through your people. Thank you for those who have encouraged us and that we can encourage as well. Give us eyes to see even today who we can encourage and reach out to. Um, But bless the time discussing. Thank you for the time in your word. We are grateful that you've given it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. Hope you will join us again next week as we continue learning lessons from the life of the Apostle Paul. For more information on the Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. Have a great week.